Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, I look at the fun side of the State Fair while Bill Werner explores the more political aspects of the great Minnesota get-together, and Mike Grimm goes in-depth on the Minnesota Lynx Rio Olympic gold medal connection. But first, it's been a tough, emotional week for the small community of Watkins in central Minnesota. During the early morning hours of August 20th, a family friend kidnapped and killed five-year-old Elena Ertl. MNN's Tasha Radel takes a closer look at the question on so many people's minds, who would do something like this to an innocent child? Joining me is Hamlin University professor Jillian Peterson, who specializes in criminology and forensic psychology. Professor Peterson, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, wanted to visit with you a little bit uh, about this case that has really, I guess, uh, torn at the heartstrings of many Minnesotans. Uh, the suspect, 25-year-old Zachary Anderson of Monticello and most recently of Coon Rapids, a week ago Saturday sexually assaulted and strangled little Elena. Would you say, in your opinion, that this was on sudden impulse or was this planned out over time? Well, it's hard to know necessarily without access to, to complete investigation, but Based on the publicly available information, my sense is that it was rather impulsive. Sometimes in the field of forensic psychology, we think of murders as either organized or disorganized, which kind of goes along with the idea of it's premeditated or if it's impulsive. And a lot of this murder has the feel of a disorganized murder where he it happened at four in the morning. Um, I don't think we know how much alcohol was involved, but a lot of times that can trigger impulsive violence. And that doesn't mean it's not something he thought about prior, but it doesn't seem like he had a really good plan in place in order to really pull the murder off. Um, it was obvious that he was the person in the house. Um, he, it sounds like he called his father the morning of looking for the cabin, which would be kind of an obvious place to go. So it didn't feel particularly well organized in terms of carrying out a murder and getting away with it. And, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to label uh, Mr. Anderson as, as a pedophile, but typically uh, do pedophiles groom their victims? Do they normally get this close to a family? Typically they do. So it depends on what statistics you use, but it's around even as high as 90% of child victims who are sexually abused will know their abuser. Um, that's under the age of 12. Over the age of 12, it's closer to 80%, depending on sort of who you ask. So it is common that um, victims know the person that killed them, whether it's a family member or um, a sort of friend of the family type. But I would say this is different than being a pedophile because it doesn't seem like this happened previously in his relationship with Elena, although we really don't know. Um, this is this sort of kidnap, rape, torture, murder has a different um, profile than your typical sexual molester. And, you know, speaking of that, the suspect, uh, Mr. Anderson, had no criminal history except for a few minor uh, traffic offenses. Is it common, I guess, for someone this late in age to, to develop a mental disorder or become a pedophile, if that makes any sense? It does. It's a, it's a good question. And 
I used to, so before becoming an academic, I worked as an investigator with the New York Capitol Defender Office. So we worked with people who were facing the death penalty for heinous murders. And my job was to put together, we call it the psychosocial life history of the person who does this type of thing. And that would be talking to the offender, talking to their family, gathering records, trying to sort of piece together why this happens. And a saying we had in that office was the worse the crime, the worse the story. There was always a pathway that got someone there. And sometimes that was easy to uncover. Sometimes it was harder to uncover. Um, So my guess is that this didn't come out of nowhere. It's hard to know exactly where it came out of and what his pathway was that got him to this point. We may find out if this goes to trial. We may never find out. Um, But that can fly under the radar of the police. So it's possible that there was previous incidences that the police didn't know about, or it's possible that this really was his first incident and this build was sort of psychological. It's hard to know. Well, we know that he left a a, a suicide uh, note. Um, I, I guess my next question would be, oh, and that he had lacerations on, on one of his wrists. Right. Do you feel maybe he was showing remorse for his actions or was feeling guilty? He could have been. It's hard to know without really talking to him. There's a scholar that once wrote that suicide and sort of impulsive homicide are very close. He called them two sides of the same coin in terms of where they come from and like despair and hopelessness. So it's hard to know what was driving what, if he was feeling suicidal and hopeless and so decided to commit this murder because he had nothing to lose or if he committed this murder and then realized what he had done or had a fear of getting caught and then became suicidal. It's hard to know sort of what led to what. Um, But also the fact that I think her blanket was with her body indicates some level of emotional connection he was feeling to her, some type of emotion he was feeling. It wasn't a totally cold crime scene. And, you know, not to put you on the spot with this, but do you feel, um, you know, there's been so much judgment already within the public and, and the community. Do you feel that Mr. Anderson can get a fair trial? You know, Whenever there is a case like this that is so public and attracts so much attention, and this is, you know, not only statewide, but this is even getting national attention, I think it does get really difficult to get a fair trial. Um, And what I mean by that, it's difficult to find a jury of people who haven't already developed some preconceived notions about the case. And even if you can find people who haven't heard of this case, they're not really representative. Most people have heard about this case. Um, and will have some sort of opinion on it. So it does get difficult. Um, The court system does their best, and I'm sure it's something that Anderson's attorney is talking to him about, their best route in terms of getting a fair trial, but it is something that's, that's tough to do. Thanks again to Professor Jillian Peterson. At last check, Anderson remained jailed on $2 million bail. Little Elena was laid to rest on Friday. Back to you, Scott. More Minnesota Matters after this. Sometimes, a simple idea can be developed into something big that can change the world. This is Katy Perry. In fourth grade, my music teacher helped me make a vision board. It was a collage that represented all of my hopes and aspirations in music. But what if my teacher didn't have the supplies we needed to make our collages? What if I never got the chance to learn and express my dreams? Unfortunately, that's the reality our teachers face every day. 
They're forced to spend their own money, sometimes just to keep the classroom running. That's why I'm teaming up again with Staples for Students to donate $1 million to DonorsChoose.org, the charity that helps teachers get what they need to bring learning to life for students. DonorsChoose.org has helped fulfill more than 700,000 classroom projects, benefiting more than 18 million students. It's an idea that's changing the world. It's easy to help. Donate in Staples stores or learn more at staplesforstudents.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. The state fair is upon us, and I wanted to go behind the scenes to get the inside story on some of the fair's most beloved attractions and foods. First, I tracked down Fred Pitroff, the man who built the giant slide 49 years ago. My father-in-law was in the scaffolding business, and I, went, I lived out in California, and, and I went to San Jose Park, and they had a small slide there, and I uh, decided to make a bigger one, and I built it then in 1967. How long did it take you to build? Uh, well, the first one, it took a couple of months, but after that, we I made 42 of them. I built 42 around wow. state fairs around the country. And what kind of maintenance do you have to do on this particular slide? Every year it looks clean, new, solid. Well, we repaint it every year after the fair. And we replace scaffolding, do everything, you know, periodically. Do you like riding on the slide? Yeah. And tell me, how did you come up with the idea with those, uh, what are those sacks? They're hemp. hemp. Well, they're better than burlap because they don't take as much moisture. And they, burlap gets damp. And for somebody who hasn't ridden the giant slide before, what would you tell them to entice them to ride it? It's the only ride out here that the parents ride with their great-grandchildren. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm riding my fourth generation now. And uh, how long do you intend on having the giant slide here at the fair? Well, forever. My daughter will take over someday. <laughs> Mark Maroney has been in the Prano Pup business for 42 years. He explains what sets them apart from the competition. Well, some say it's the, uh, the original food on a stick. The argument being that maybe the candy apple was. So being the first food on a stick really, you know, like a, something substantial, made it and, and a quick grab and go. Um, it was a great novel idea, and now everybody tries it. Tries to do something on a stick, um, and just the quality, the way they're made, the the way they're cooked, um, the whole thing. Is there something special about the way they're cooked that makes them taste different from uh, like a corn dog or something well, like that? We don't float ours. You know, you see a lot of times they, you float them to cook them, just, just like a, a mini donut kind of. And even on a mini donut, you'll notice it flips over. Well. The, the corn dog or the pronto pup, if you float it, wants to roll, so one side will get done more than the other. These go through on a wheel, timed wheel, so it's all timed, and they're cooked evenly the whole, all the way around. Is there any secret uh, in the recipe for the batter? Uh, the batter's different. Uh, they all, of course, they all have cornmeal, uh, hence the corn dog. Uh, we've got a lot of different flours in ours, uh, and and they're not as sweet. Ours, you, know, you, you can actually, you, you don't taste the sugar in the batter like like you do in some. So you've, you've been doing this, you said, for 40 some odd years. Do you, I'm sure I know the answer to this already, but do you like Prano Pups still? Love them, love them. <laughs> I do. Dick Mueller is one of the owners of the original cheese curd stand, and he says what is now a fair tradition wasn't an immediate hit when it was first introduced. We started it out 42 years ago, and there were no deep fried cheese curds, of course, Cheese curds have been around forever, you know. You got that little Miss Muffet probably discovered them, right? <laughs> Sat in her curds and whey. Sure. So 
uh, and then we we started deep frying them, and it was a process, and it, it took a number of years before they caught on, and then, you know, now you see what it is. What gave you the idea to do that in the first place? Just looking at the fair, we we came in. We also sold uh, Peppy Bowl sausages. It was the hottest thing you've ever seen. I, I, I couldn't go near them, but anyway, we we started out as. Uh, Peppy pole and curds, and that lasted uh, five, six years, and then the Peppy poles didn't sell anymore, and so we used the space for cheese, uh, the original. Cheese. Do you have any idea how many of these you make each year at the fair? I could, I could tell you we use over a ton of cheese a day. Last, but certainly not least, sweet Martha Rossini Olson, whose cookies have been a fair tradition for generations. I told Martha it seems that her workers have turned scooping those melty chocolate chip delights as high as they can for each customer into a science. It seems to have been turning into an art, too, and everyone along the way sort of develops their own way of doing it. Now, is that method something that you came up with in the, in the early days, or where did that come from to put stack them in a cone that way? Well, it seems to be that it just sort of evolved. It wasn't anything really taught, but because of the cone being what it is in the pail, we just thought we wanted to try and give the best value we could, so that's why we started stacking. Have you branched out at all from chocolate chip? We have in the grocery stores uh, five different varieties of um, cookies from oatmeal to peanut butter and macadamia nut and uh, a gourmet chocolate chunk. And we actually, this last year, introduced a sugar cookie. At the beginning of our conversation, I mentioned that your cookies are among many people's favorite item at the fair. So to give you this opportunity, we've got listeners throughout the state. Uh, what message do you have for folks that have been eating these cookies for decades? The one thing I would like to say is thank you very much. We so appreciate your patronage and your loyalty. We have had so many customers that have been with us since day one, and we so appreciate it. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, sweet Martha. More Minnesota Matters after this. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up. Just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. 
Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right. Which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. After you've enjoyed some entertainment, done some shopping, taken in the booths, and eaten your fill of corn dogs or whatever at the state fair, it might be time to give Minnesota lawmakers a piece of your mind. MN's Bill Werner, I guess this is kind of the flip side of campaign speeches. You are correct, Scott, but although there's still plenty of glad handing and speech making by candidates at the Minnesota State Fair, there's also an opportunity for citizens to give their input to lawmakers about major issues that the state legislature is wrangling with. People can do that at the Minnesota House of Representatives and the Minnesota Senate's state fair booths, which are next to each other in the education building. Both chambers do informal, non-scientific polls every year using short surveys with controversial questions, and they are controversial. And anyone stopping by can fill one out. We talked with House Public Information Services' Barry LaGrave about this year's poll. Is there a fair amount of interest in this poll uh, by lawmakers? I suppose there is. Yeah, they're always interested in the results because we, we pick a variety of questions based on a variety of issues of, from both sides of the party and some major issues, obvious ones, and also some you know less important or not less important, but smaller issues that maybe the fairgoers aren't aware that the legislature is working on. Can you give us an idea of the uh, breadth of questions this year? Well, we've got a question about uh, support for an increase in the metro area sales tax to fund mass transit. Uh, we have another question about uh, requiring, uh, should criminal background checks be required on all gun sales? A question uh, related to uh, should schools or businesses be required to require individuals to use restroom and locker room facilities based on biological sex at birth? We've got a parental consent question for data that's collected from uh, students uh, at schools. Uh, we've got a gas tax per gallon increase question, a uh, ignition interlock device question related to breathalyzers. We've got a question about something that's, that's relatively current, is that some cities are looking at um, uh, mandatory a sick leave for an expanded group of employees uh, who work in, in various situations. We've got a question about uh, those facing terminal illness being allowed to receive a prescription for life-ending medication that they would self-administer. And then we've got a question that everybody's going to have opinion on, which is the, should it be illegal to talk on a wireless communication device while driving? So a broad range of questions that uh, I expect every fairgoer is going to have uh, strong opinions uh, on one way or the other on them. You know, you've hit on just a number of issues that, that are hot topics at the legislature, mm -hmm. and so, some have been for a number of years and have come up, come up repeatedly, and others are fresh topics. Yep, yep. And that's, uh, we sometimes like to wait a couple of years, ask the same question again, and then we can look back and see how much of the public opinion has shifted, if it has, on that particular question. And, you know, Barry, my experience on this has been that uh, in, in seeing these questions on the House polls and the Senate polls uh, for, for a number of years now, 
it is very often that these questions are then addressed in some shape or some way, shape, or form in the subsequent legislative session. Yep, that's right. And uh, and uh, you know, members do like to get the re- the responses. And what's great for the House and Senate booth is we have members out at the booth. So as people take the poll, if they want to voice an a, a uh, an opinion to uh, to a member, there we usually have a member right there, and it's it's a great way for the House to interact one on one with fairgoers who may not normally interact with the legislature. You know, one of the things about the Minnesota legislature, and I, I know by my saying this as a reporter, but I re- really and have observed this over the years, uh, that citizens can can get access to their lawmakers, uh, and it's it's not impo- nearly impossible as it is sometimes in Washington D.C. Yeah, no, it's exactly right. There, I've been here almost 20 years, and and there's a real support for openness and transparency, and and uh, our office uh, lives and breathes by by that. So uh, uh, it's a great opportunity to uh, uh, tell people and who maybe don't interact with government. This is how easy it can be. You can sign up for uh, uh, electronic newsletters from from members. You can sign up for schedules, weekly schedule updates, daily schedule updates. Uh, you can, if you have an interest in a certain bill, you can go online using the My Bills tool, and whenever a bill that relates to a topic you're interested in, you can get an alert, email alert that that bill's been introduced. So there's uh, many, many ways for for the average uh, resident of Minnesota to uh, become in, you know, become involved with the legislature. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's a powerful access to democracy in this new age of of the internet and iPhones and all the other technology. Yep, that's right. It's, uh, we're, we're continually looking, okay, what's the next thing? Like in our office, we've got uh, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube accounts. And, and so uh, we have, we're looking at all the different ways of, of trying to redistribute uh, all their information to try to hit as many people as possible. Clearly, you have good virtual connections, as it were, to, to Minnesotans for citizens in their government. Uh, but but for, for folks who actually are coming down to the um, uh, state fair and want a, a real reality <laughs> and to stop at the booth and maybe talk to a, a representative there uh, and, uh, and answer the poll questions, uh, can you give folks uh, directions if they don't happen to have uh, the computer direct them there? Well, we're on. We're in the education building, which is on the east side of the fairgrounds. Right uh, on the back side of the building is Snelling Avenue. Uh, we're right about the, just north of the main gate on Snelling in the education building, which is right next to the arts and crafts. There's a corner building, like a creative arts building, and we're in the education building. And what's great is the House booth is right next door to the Senate booth. So, uh, so if you want to really give your opinion, you've got two different places that you can give your opinion. And the, the fair is open 9 a.m. To, to 9 p.m., and uh, it's staffed by members, but also we have partisan and nonpartisan staff here at the House and the legislature that uh, help work the booth, and, and we can answer almost any question you have. Barry, thank you very much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure, Bill. I appreciate the call. That's Minnesota House Public Information Services' Barry LaGrave. And Scott, after the fair is over, we will report on what Minnesotans told state lawmakers in the survey and see what lawmakers do about it in 2017. Yes, we will, Bill. Thank you. More Minnesota Matters after this. You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info 
could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Four members of the Minnesota Lynx were golden this month when they were part of Team USA's gold medal winning effort in women's basketball at the Rio Olympics. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm has more on Minnesota Matters. Scott Hutchinson native Lindsay Whalen, a former Golden Gopher star, won her second gold medal to go along with the one she won in London in 2012. Her and her teammates returned to the Twin Cities earlier this week, and a nice group of supporters greeted the medal winners at the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport. Whalen spoke first. We're happy to be back. Um, as you can see, we've landed. We've made it. Um, and this has been a, a good travel day, really good travel day. It was uh, obviously very exciting. Um, you know, we put a lot of work into it. Um, the whole month that we're together and everybody throughout their um, whole lives, really. So it was very exciting to uh, to actually um, to win it again. Um, you know, I thought that we all had a, a really, you know, really great impact on the team and um, obviously coach, um, you know, as well on the staff. So I thought we all represented um, the Lynx in Minnesota really well. A ton of support, so we're, we're all very um, excited and very happy to, uh, to be back. Wayland's teammate, Maya Moore, also won her second gold medal and says this one means as much as the first and the memories last forever. It's the people, really, that I remember the most, the journey, uh, as we go through our own unique experience as the team that we are and you know there's we're never going to have the 2016 team experience again because that team was that team and you know as the buzzer was was winding down in the game I was just getting a little emotional thinking oh wow you know this is this is it for this group and um, you know there's a future for some there's a retirement for some and it's just um, one of those things you have to kind of pause and reflect on and enjoy and not try to move too fast and look ahead. So we're, we're going to eat this up. We're going to continue to enjoy it for a long time. Moore says it's a special time to be a U.S. women's basketball Olympian. It's really kind of mind-blowing to think about the legacy that we are fortunate to be a part of. You know, we grew up, I think, looking up to a lot of the women whose shoulders we stand on, and now we can be those women that people look up to. And um, it's a great honor, but it's also so fun because we know we're surrounded by the best, and that's the, that's the best part of the journey is we get to do it with each other, and it's, it's really fun. And when you see us out there and you think we're having a lot of fun, it's because we are. You know, it is as fun as it looks. Lynx guard Simone Augustus and center Sylvia Fowles won their third gold medals in Rio. They were also part of London as well as Beijing in 2008. Minnesota head coach Cheryl Reeve this year served as an assistant coach on Team USA in Rio. I was kind of the rookie in the group, uh, myself, Elena, Brianna Stewart, Brittany Griner. Um, and so really it started in world championships to try to figure out you know, what this was about on the world stage and, and coaching uh, you know, 12 unbelievable players, four of which are ours, and just how it was all going to work. And um, I, I can't uh, really put words on uh, what an amazing experience it was, not just the, the basketball, you know, part of it, which was just unbelievable to have uh, Gino and Doug and Dawn and, and uh, just some 
you know, some great coaching conversations um, after after coaching some really good players and. The, the quality of people that we had representing our country is something we all should be incredibly proud of. Uh, and then obviously the product on the floor. You know, I, I think that uh, that group makes it look easy. And, it, and, it, and you know, I think it's been said, it's, you know, it's documented that um, we thought that the teams that we were playing against were really good teams, playing some really good basketball. Uh, we just happened to be playing uh, at a really high level uh, very quickly in a month. To put it all together the way that we did uh, is just a, a testament to Gino, uh, you know, to the, to the things that he demanded and got out of these players, and, and uh, they made it look easy. And it was not, believe me, um, you know, there was there was absolutely stress on the coach's part, you know, trying to figure out uh, what buttons to push, as it always is, and uh, and so it was incredibly rewarding. Reeves went into more detail about just how hard it was for the Americans, even though the team made it look easy. The countries that we were playing against had months, if not years, in some cases, of training. Uh, that uh, that we tried to do in a month, you know, you know, yeah, we were together a little bit through World Championships. We have a training camp for three days, stateside here and there, uh, but it's nowhere near what the other countries are getting the chance to do. And so, really credit the player. Reeves says she'll never forget this opportunity and the rewards. It's the first one I've been a part of. You know, USAB wasn't something as a player I had a chance to be a part of. Uh, it was my first coaching experience, and um, you know, so I think for for Maya, Lindsay, Simone. And uh, still, they've been doing it for so long. You know, for them, this is kind of, you know, they, they cherish every gold medal. Um, you know, for me, it's been mostly about WNBA and championships, uh, whether as an assistant coach or head coach. So um, the uniqueness of this, um, I don't know that it's really hit me yet. Uh, you know, when, that, when the flag was going up, it was kind of like, is this really happening? Like, it was very surreal. Uh, much like you know, something of that magnitude is for, for most people. Um, I was just trying to soak it up and uh, to have a chance to share it with four really, really special Lynx players is by far was the highlight for me. And now Reeve and the Lynx are back in action trying to defend their WNBA championship. Scott? Thank you, Mike. That's going to do it for this week. Tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.